0: Hi, welcome to HowlCast. I want to take a moment to talk to you about an awesome program we have going on. Howl has partnered with GoHunt to bring an awesome membership program. You can now purchase GoHunt Insider or Explorer through the Howl Wildlife membership portal. You get all the same awesome features and benefits like advanced hunt filtering tools, industry leading draw odds, state regulation overviews, species profiles, expert insights, strategies and advice plus all the exclusive content. But now if you purchase your insider or explorer membership through the HAL portal, you will get an additional 15% to shop on Go Hunt Store always. Uh, you will get the full HAL membership, which gives you exclusive discounts to all our partners, awesome monthly gear giveaways, and exclusive yearly hunt giveaways for our members. Plus, a portion of your membership is tax-deductible. Already have a GoHunt membership? No problem. If you buy through the Howl for Wildlife portal, GoHunt will just add 12 months to your existing membership and upgrade your membership to the Howl package. It's a great way to get awesome, useful tools and to support Howl for Wildlife. So get on there, purchase your membership today, and thank you very much. Let's get into this episode.
1: Hey everybody! This is Charles Whitwam, and we have a special podcast, the Howl for Wildlife Howlcast, coming from Arkansas. What's the name of this town that we're closest to? Monticello. Monticello, and I'm here with John Stallone, with Howl, and with members of the Arkansas Fishing Game Commission. Mm-hmm. Everybody's part of the commission, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and.
2: Commission.
3: Commission.
1: Commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the commission. Yeah. Um, How for wildlife is here because of a project that Blood Origins, I guess, introduced. Right? He came to the director of the Arkansas Fish and Game Commission and said, "What project do you guys need funded?" Was that?
2: That's basically it. Okay. I mean, uh, the our director approached approached me approximately four months ago okay. and said, hey, uh, I think we have may have a funding source for a project, you know, what's kind of, what would be a wish list project for you? And uh, we, had, we were in the process of proposing a new hunting season for South Arkansas. It's historically the first hunting season for bear that we've ever had in South Arkansas, modern day. And uh, with that in mind, I knew it was going to be approved. Uh, I said, hey, you know, we need to gather some more information on that bear population, see what's going on with it. So he said, uh, two different levels of project. What would you like? You know, a $5,000, 10000 15000 project, or what could you do with a 50000 plus project? So I gave him two proposals, and he came back a couple of weeks later and said, I think we can go with a bigger project and so that's how it really all kind of got started
1: got it okay and i want to do introductions so that was myron means that just spoke and what's your myron what is your what's your title what do you do
2: i am the statewide large carnivore program coordinator with game and fish okay which basically means bear and mountain lion and black panther (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm 98 percent bear, two yeah. percent mountain lion, <laughs> and zero <laughs> percent black panther. <laughs> and next to
1: you is Jen. Jen, I don't know your last name. Ballard. Jen Ballard. And what do you, what do you do? What's what's your position?
4: I'm the state wildlife veterinarian for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. I also serve as our assistant chief of research.
1: Okay, so you're the state wildlife veterinarian, and you basically any type of wildlife that needs healthcare or monitoring or whatnot, you're...
4: That's kind of my role here. So we'll be putting these animals, when we catch them, we'll put them under uh, an anesthetic or strong sedative. And so my role in this project will be to run anesthetic monitoring to make sure their heart rate and breathing and oxygen saturation all look good. Bigger picture, what I do with the agency is really work with our biologists to incorporate health considerations to make sure we're managing our populations uh, for health and stability.
1: Got it. And A.J.? That's I don't know right. your last name either.
3: Riggs. A. Riggs. Riggs? Yes.
1: Like Martin Riggs and Lethal Weapon. Sure. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, AJ Riggs. Okay. What do you do?
3: Uh, I'm the agency's wildlife health biologist. I work alongside of uh, Jen.
1: You guys work together? Yes, yes, in the research division. How do you work together? What's a, what's a, what's a, uh, name a project or an I don't know if an, if you have an average day, but how would you work together?
3: <laughs> Actually, I don't necessarily work side by side physically with her. Um, I uh, oversee the uh, agency's statewide CWD surveillance and management. Um, so she just tells me what to do, and I get it done.
1: <laughs> You're the boss. Yeah. <laughs> Jen's the boss you could say, say: Yes, te- technically, I, I am yeah. the boss. Okay. Um, I wanted to get through the intros before. I got into, uh, you know, the reason why we were, we were doing this, but Myron got into that. So um, why is Hal for Wildlife here? I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So back to blood origins, um, Robbie reached out to the commission. Um, the, the commission said we want to fund a project that's essentially providing collars for black bear um, and then there'll be a den study. You're going to collar the bears, GPS them, so you can track them, and then later Correct. on you'll be able to find them in their dens and um, do some research on it. But to raise money for that, yes. Blood Origins created a, a fundraising project where there was a bunch of teams mm-hmm. that essentially was in a contest to see who raised the most money. Um, Hall for Wildlife raised thirty-six or 37000 What was it? So- Something like $36,000 or $37,000, which was by far the majority of of the fundraising. Uh, We got right on that and just got a bunch of people involved. And and along with the matches from Legends Ranch and Cabela's Foundation, um, we raised the $37,000. So because we came in first place, that's why we're here. That's why we're here with with everybody at this table right now and, and taking part in this project. And we are on day two of setting up snares, baiting snares, Correct. and cameras, uh, cell phone cameras, so we know Correct. when they show up. And then once, once we trap a Snare-A-Bear, we can go out and, well, we'll get into that. But I just right. wanted to give the reason why we're here. Um, I have something from, from Blood Origins I wanted to read. And just to, just to sort of get into the story here, but so it says before Arkansas was known before Arkansas was known as the, the natural state. It was informally referred to as the bear state. I didn't know that because we had so many somebody from Arkansas must have wrote this, so we had so many black bears. It is believed that there may have been as many as 50,000 bear pre-settlement. But by the 1930s, bear populations were reduced so dramatically from habitat loss and overhunting that there were less than 50 black bear in the state. Between, that's crazy, (laughs) less than 50 black bear in the state. Between 1958 and 1968, approximately 254 bear from Minnesota and Manitoba were released into the Arkansas highlands, which gave way to the most successful reintroduction of large carnivore in the world. I didn't know that either. Maybe I should have read this first. I didn't read the whole thing. <laughs> One aspect of that management is our bear collaring monitor program that concludes with bear den trips to gather data on the reproduction of our bear population. Annually, our biologists use telemetry from the bear collars to locate bear dens during the hibernation period. I won't read. The rest is about the fundraising. But let's go back to, to that. So you were known as the bear state. There were as many as 50,000 bear. And then it was 50 bear. What are you at now?
2: Probably around 6,000. 6,000. Give or take a few.
1: What was it 10 years ago? You know,
2: just. Uh, 10 years ago, it was probably around 4,000.
1: 30 years ago. Let's 30 say. 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, let's say 1990.
2: Mm, 1990. That's kind of a tough one to put a number on. I would say back then it would have probably been 2,500.
1: 2,500. Yeah. So it's been growing yeah. pretty well.
2: Okay. The unique thing about Arkansas's bear program, as you know, at the time of the reintroduction back in the 50s and 60s, I mean, it's kind of unique that Arkansas has seen this, these 20-year leaps in achievement. Uh, from the reintroduction effort, you bump up 20 years, and because it was prime habitat, they weren't hunted, and it was just it was great resources, the bear population flourished. And so 1980 is when we reopened bear season in the state of Arkansas. And this last year marked the 41st consecutive bear season we've had in the state since the reintroduction effort. But you follow along from 1980 to the year 2000, when our bear population was growing above our rate of harvest because harvest was incidental to deer hunting at the time. People weren't actively bear hunting. Mm-hmm. And so we had to do something to enable people to actively bear hunt. So we allowed baiting in the state on private land only. And, uh, you know, it took a couple of years for people to figure it out, but it didn't take long, and they people learned how to bear hunt with bait. And it was wildly successful to the point that you know, we were able to start harvesting the number of bears that we needed to, to stabilize our populations, to keep them healthy under the carrying capacity. And then you bump forward from 2000 to here we are, you know, 2022, and we're proposing to have a bear season in the Gulf Coastal Plain part of the state, which we've historically never had a bear season before Mm -hmm. because of super low bear densities. And that population is obviously growing to the point From our research and studies that we've done, it's growing to the point that we feel we can sustain a season, a very limited, moderate season. Uh, But we still have a lot of information we need to gain on that. So if you look at the history of Arkansas's bear program, we seem to be making these 20-year strides in our management success and so you know here we are 20 years later after we initiated baiting in the mountain zones we're opening bear season in the gulf coastal plain part of the state basically the for those of you who don't know the gulf coastal plain of arkansas it's the southern triangle of the state from little rock draw leg to the southeast and southwest corner and you have the gulf coastal plain and with this bear season coming in we will once again have a bear season in roughly Four fifths of the state of Arkansas, okay. Which it continues to be more successful as the decades roll by.
1: Why has the Why has the bear population grown so much, and 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 why in the Gulf Plains? How co- is it? Did they just come back here naturally and just over time? You know, bears kept feeding A lot of it's naturally okay. right.
2: I mean. You know, White River over in the eastern part of the state, that's always had a bear population. That was the only remnant population that thought to be left by the 1950s was the lower White River drainage. Uh, you Which know- Which is fe-
4: protected as part of a national wildlife. That's refuge. That's right.
2: Uh, White River and Felsenthal, all the nat- natural national wildlife refuges in the state do not allow bear hunting. So that was a protected population. And in the early 2000s, we actually uh, initiated a repatriation effort from the lower White River to uh, Felsenthal National Wildlife Refuge, which basically sits in the middle of the state on the Louisiana-Arkansas border. And part of that repatriation effort was to try and establish a bear population in that central Gulf Coastal Plain to allow that population to expand and move into the Gulf Coastal Plain uh so you know in population or the land basis changed over the past 30 years Uh, the limiting factor historically was always a fall food source and in the last 30 years we all know what's happened to the deer hunting culture you know feeding supplemental feeding and everything and uh you know i'm convinced that that's a large part in what makes that gulf coastal plain habitat sustainable or suitable in the fall uh, you know, the, the timber companies have streamside uh, buffer zones and everything where there are oaks. But other than that, there really is no fall mast available in, throughout the Gulf Coastal Plain. So if you supplement that with corn, uh, it makes it sustainable for bears. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we've gotten to where we are now. This
1: This season in the Gulf Plains... Is that a proposal, or is this a... It's is, done.
2: It was approved it, okay. in May by our commission.
1: Okay, so that's done. That was approved in May. Do you have any idea, what kind of data do you have on this area? Do you have any idea how many bear are here, and what have you done to collect that data? How do you know?
2: We just completed a, a five-year research effort with the University of Arkansas Monticello that had a study area roughly between fels and thaw it was a small part of the gulf coastal plain where they did hair snare project Mm -hmm. to look at hair snare dna distribution across the gulf coastal plain or within that study area and they we were plagued with covid Mm -hmm. national epidemics (laughs) (laughs) pandemics and we were plagued with uh historical hundred-year floods uh, so between the COVID and floods, you know, we managed to eke out two field seasons in the five-year project. So the data is a little bit limited. The research is a little bit hampered, but we still come with, away with some what I feel is comfortable population densities for that study area. And uh, so what we're trying to do now is just uh, gather more information on that population.
4: We've also supplemented that with an iNaturalist program to have uh, Arkansans report bears that they're seeing, especially, they can report them statewide, but especially in the South Arkansas area. So Mm -hmm. um, that's helped to document it as well.
1: Arkansans. That's Mm -hmm. how you say it. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. (laughs) I don't know what I would have said. (laughs) Arkansasians? (laughs) I don't even know what it was. Arkansans. Okay. Okay. Who here has, have any of you worked on the hair snares, setting those snares or collecting that data or no, that's somebody else's job.
4: Yeah. That was contracted out to a university. The, um, university of forestry school is, uh, down here, not far from where we are today. And they, it was contracted to researchers there at the university.
1: They're doing that in in California and the the iNaturalist and they have also thousands of cameras. Do you guys have a bunch of cameras up everywhere Mm -hmm. yourselves? You don't. Okay. Um, okay, so you, you feel like there's a sufficient number of bears in the golf plains to have a, a moderate season. Mm-hmm. What would that season be? What's the quota?
2: The quota for bear zone four, which is basically the, the triangle part of the state, uh, it's going to be 25 bears. Okay. Zone three, which is a small zone in the very southwest corner of the state, will have a five-bear quota, or ten. It's 5 or 10. I'm trying to remember. It correlates with zone 5 and 5A. Five it's 5. A- so AJ's, <laughs> AJ's getting yeah, AJ hand knows. signals pretty
1: over
4: sure
2: here. pretty sure that's yeah. Yeah. what the code said. Yeah. 5. Yeah. Just so you know, hand signals? Yeah. No, <laughs> coaching him. AJ does a lot of the hand signals. Um, yeah. we've, been dri- yeah. we've been driving around yeah, <laughs> together for the those. last couple of days, and Aj, she writes
1: (laughs) post-it notes. She's sending out text Mm, messages. She's navigating. She's oh wait, we forgot this. We got to do this. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. She's staying quiet. She's staying quiet right now. We're gonna get something out of her though. She is a
4: logistics queen. Yeah. Yeah. I heard one of the most
1: organized people anyone's ever met. Absolutely.
3: That's that's. (laughs) Don't come to my house. That's a good person. (laughs) No, (laughs)
1: absolutely. No, that's. I understand that (laughs) for sure. Yes. So. Okay, how important, then, is this is this project, this collaring project? What do you...
2: It's essential.
1: Okay.
4: Absolutely.
2: Essential to what? Essential to us gaining more information about this bear population. The unique thing about the Gulf Coastal Plain is it's all private land. It's all either private ownership or it's timber company mm-hmm. land. Yeah. And it's millions and millions and millions of acres of private land. And therefore, it's private land. Game and Fish doesn't just readily have access to private land. We can't just go on someone's private land and do research. So, you know, we have to work partnerships with timber companies, with le- lease clubs and all that, in order to just gain access to do what we want to do down here. If we're up in the Ozarks or the Washita's, you know, that's a million-plus acres of national forest and public land and we're able to kind of carry out research projects and monitoring projects kind of on a whim more or less Uh, but down here it's it's a different it's a different ball of wax so if you don't have access to the land then you can't set up research projects on the land and so it's just you know it's kind of a big mystery
1: why are there more bear in the north, in the Ozarks, in the mountains. Why, is there, why are there more bear up there? Habitat. It's habitat. A lot better. What's, what's the habitat up there?
2: Oak Hickory Forest, upland hardwood, Oak Hickory Forest. And, and, what, is,
1: and what is it down here?
2: Uh, it's pine. production pine. Yeah, it's timber production pine. Which, you know, those – There's some those, berries. Those, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, those ecosystems are, are great for bears for the first 15 or 20 years. You know, and after they evolve out of that into like saw timber, timber, saw grade pine stands, Mm -hmm. they have no value for bears. And, you know, bears are animals that have, that have really large home ranges. And uh, so they, they need a lot of groceries in their backyard. And so.
1: So do you see this area continuing? Why will this area, based on that, why will this area continue to see bear growth and population
2: growth? And what can be uh, done? Well, very limited hunting season. Okay. I mean, uh, it has to be tightly regulated down here because, I mean, theoretically in the grand scheme of things in the fall when there is no natural food sources available other than some creek drains that have oak trees and acorns or acorns, depending on where you're Mm -hmm. from in Arkansas. So, but I mean, other than that, the only food source available are corn feeders and Mm. you know that's where bears are going to be so if you have an early season in october when every bear is out of a den cycle and they're on the landscape and they're trying to feed up heavy where are they going to be they're going to be on someone's corn feeder Mm -hmm. and so you know if you don't frame the season right theoretically every bear in the gulf coastal plain could get shot on opening day of bear season Mm And so it that's that's why it's a it's just a totally different dynamic than working in the mountains. So
1: got it. Yeah, completely completely so different environment.
0: So I got a follow-up question to what Charles asked um about the habitat. Now you had you mentioned this is a very big timber mm-hmm. producing area mm-hmm. and that those i guess where they've clear cut or where they've cut down timber for production uh, to and then reseeded or whatever repopulated those ecosystems are are good for about 10 15 years and usable for bears and so on so we saw a lot, a lot of bears yeah for bears of, for bears right so I think Charles had asked, why would that continue to be good here? And I'm just wondering, is that because they're going to be just going to keep yeah, rotating a, and cutting yeah, and rebuilding and, sure. re-build and regrowing? It's a
2: constant rotation. I mean, you know, all these timber production, all these big companies own millions of acres. And it's just, you know, it's all a continuous rotating right? A crop. right? It's a tree crop. So
0: as long as that industry is prevalent down here, the bears can continue to exist. Sure. And then... Of course you said that you know, supplementation of mm-hmm. corn feeders and stuff. If baiting was illegal tomorrow and there was no more corn feeders, you don't think the bears would be able to sustain down here? Is that well? I think that? they would
2: probably sustain real well because most people wouldn't be able to ever kill one. Right. Okay. You know. I mean without the baiting, I mean, you know, we've proven back in the eighties and nineties bear hunting without bait is <laughs> is hard. Yeah, it absolutely. is hard.
1: Yeah, because then know. it's just boot hunting. Right, it's just boot hunting bear.
2: Which is I yeah. mean, really prior to two thousand, right? really most yeah, yeah. of our bears were harvested incidental to deer hunting. Yeah, you're out deer hunting, you see a bear, bear season's open, you shoot a bear. Mm-hmm. You know, it just wasn't an active sport. People I didn't actively bear hunt, and I haven't oh, seen did, much huh? glassable area here. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to glass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: no high spots. Extremely no thick. open no country. Sp- <laughs> yeah, hundred percent.
4: But I think that's one of the advantages of the way the research is being done because, you know, in the mountains we've used um – sort of a, a older-style collar, mm-hmm. and this time we're using a satellite collar. So we're actually going to be able to track the movement of these bears, which will give us a tremendous amount of information about their habitat use, which will really help us fill in the blanks on which of these habitats they're using and when, and then that can help us calculate you know, what the sustainable um, ecological carrying capacity will be. Right. So yeah, the GPS versus telemetry. telemetry. Absolutely.
2: Yes. Absolutely. And that was really kind of the two price differences of the project. Do you want to go VHF collars and monitor reproduction and recruitment, or do you want to go with the GPS collar? One costs three hundred. One costs three thousand. So, but you, you can know.
4: get the same reproductive data and all the habitat use with data with the GPS. So what much more bang for your buck?
1: Absolutely. Do you still need a guy in an airplane? Right, you don't need that. Not
2: on these bears.
4: Bounces we do as on as for satellites.
1: Bears. Right,
2: you don't need yeah, that. Yeah, as long as the What's satellites don't fall What's the cost
1: on that? Out. That's got to be not. On cool. the what?
2: The subscription oh. for the satellite service? Now mm-hmm. flying. For the, for the uh, pilot and, and all that. That's got to be pretty expensive. Yeah, it can be. I mean, it's about 250 bucks an hour. Okay. So depending on how efficient they are, you get pretty pricey.
1: But but these GPS colors are way more efficient. You're collecting more data.
2: Absolutely. I mean, we have no way of getting home range information. Uh, We could get habitat use if we took enough flights a month, you know, and maybe two flights a month or something like that. But it still doesn't, it just doesn't give you the kind of information you want. Do you find a lot of,
1: predation here from bear, fawn predation? Are they very responsible for that? I'm sure it happens.
2: I mean, bears are opportunistic. They're going to take whatever's in front of them, whether it be a blackberry or deer fawn or Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm
1: -hmm. But, AJ, I know you... (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs>
3: we well, simultaneous agent. to this research project, there's another research project on um, for chronic wasting disease uh oh, right. in the CWD zone and they have documented several bear kills on mm-hmm. fawns.
1: Got it. Yeah, they're they're big time fawn killers because mm-hmm. I think they're one of the only animals mm-hmm. A newborn that's animal right. doesn't have scent, right? But a bear can Bear's it's got the best nose them. in the mm-hmm. world. Yeah. So that's why they're responsible for that. Um, okay, so we've set these we've set these traps, these snares, we've baited them. The cameras are gonna go off tomorrow. We're gonna get bear tomorrow. It's gonna
2: go off at three AM this morning. Three A. M.
1: <laughs> now how ma-
2: how many collars do you want on a, on a, how many bears do you want collared? I mean ideally across the Gulf Coastal Plain I'd love to see twenty or twenty five GPS collars, you know.
1: And you have how many How many people besides yourselves, how many people are working on this across the state?
2: Oh, boy. Directly and indirectly, 15? Fifteen. 15 Directly, yeah. I would say it's, uh, well, it's Jen, it's AJ, it's me. It's about four other field biologists that are intimately involved with the bear program across the state. How many uh, snares? Well, we, I mean, we have 20 per team is ideally right. what we'd like to have. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's not advantageous to just go out and throw a snare on the ground. You want to see some signs, some relevant sign, recent sign. So right now we're, we're I think, we're three days into the project and across the landscape, I believe we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 snares out. Okay. So far.
1: And – Let's say you get, well, it doesn't matter, but, you know, after these bears are collared, how long how long will they be collared? And does that depend on the age of the bear and the size of the bear and whatnot? But how, how long are these collars going to stay on?
2: Well, the battery, the collars themselves will last for four years on the programming schedule that we have them set at right now. Okay. Now, you know, whether or not that bear will be harvested this fall. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, it may not last on that bear. Yeah. Uh, you know six months
1: you get that collar back though right yeah we
2: get the collar yeah. back and you know if uh, if everything goes well and it's not too long oh. into the mortality signal it'll have a good fresh battery and we can put it on another one mm-hmm. when they come out of in the spring so uh, we are only collaring female bears we're not collaring males at this time we don't really have enough collars to collar males i mean I'd love to know home range information on males as well but we just we don't have enough collars for that Mm -hmm. so to keep an adequate sample size of of collars we elected to only collar females
1: okay so let's say a bear let's say a female gets collared she doesn't get killed you see her in the spring Mm -hmm. that collar's staying on Mm -hmm. and then you'll see her the next spring Mm
3: -hmm.
1: hopefully in the next spring the next four years are you going to recollar her like say year 3 year 4 do you replace the batteries do you recolor or what's what's that like?
2: well i mean you have to refurbish the collar mm-hmm. to replace the battery so to speak so yeah in another 3 or 4 years when the life of these collars start to wear out you know if we have the funding sources available yeah you bet i'd love to put them on them again
1: right got it when they're in the den uh which will be what? Late February, March. Is that when you're going in? About
2: mid-December is when when they were in, when the females entered a den. Cycle. I mean, when
1: you find them in the den. When, when we find yeah.
2: them, it'll be late February or March. Okay.
1: What in the the cubs are what size at that point?
2: Uh, I mean, it depends. You know, cubs can grow a pound a week. Once they're born, they're born in late January, mid to late January. They'll gain a pound a week, and so, you know, by early March, they should be in the five to six-pound range. Okay. They should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, I mean, you know, baby bears are kind of like human babies, you know. Some of them grow quicker than others. Some mothers are more fit than others. So what we try to do is we try to frame all of the den work that we do in the spring or in the – in the late winter we try to frame it in such a time period when we think the cubs are at least three pounds because we don't really want to handle them under three pounds uh we don't want to expose them to the elements we just don't want to expose them to that so it's we too try, small it's too small so we try to wait until they're at least three pounds but honestly you don't want to <laughs> deal with them when they're above about seven or eight pounds once they get about eight pounds believe it or not they start acting like little bears and they just don't want to have anything to do with you yeah i mean they'll bite you they'll scratch you they don't really have teeth but their claws are razor sharp like cat claws and they're just they're just tough to deal with they're starting to come into their own as a bear and so you know we have about a five-week window when we conduct all of our den work across the state
1: what okay so we're in the den it's in march what data are you collecting from the sow and then the cubs
4: so i'm typically monitoring the sow aj or i we we trade off uh, because we have multiple seams going around the state um, we'll collect hair samples for dna um, typically a, a tooth is collected for aging at the time that the collars first put on um, I take a blood sample. We, we bank a blood sample. We uh, collect uh, ectoparasites, so ticks or anything like that. Um, in some areas of the state, we've had some mange cases. So if there's evidence of mange, we'll collect some adif- additional samples. So that's kind of what I'm doing over there in the corner with the mama while these guys have the, the cubs.
2: And basically what we're doing on the, on the cub side of it is we're monitoring growth Age and growth rates of the cubs, to see if they're you know normal size, if they're underweight or something. But basically, it's age and growth stuff and sex ratios, uh, numbers. It's fecundity data, and so it's fecundity. not just fecundity. What's, what's the
1: def- what's the definition of that? What is that? Well, mean? it's
2: reproductive rate.
1: Reproductive rate. Okay. Right. Okay. Fecundity.
2: Yes. So. Uh, but with bears because they're on a 2-year reproductive cycle cubs are born one winter they stay with mom all spring and summer and fall learning how to be bears they re-enter the second den cycle with the mother as quote yearlings once they emerge from that in the spring mom kicks them out and she'll breed again in the summer so we're not only able to monitor reproductive rate of the cubs that are born in a given year but their survival rate of those cubs past a yearling past a year of of age Uh, because we know as females, the most important part of the population, right, the females' chance of survival past year two or when they're a yearling. Did you smirk at that when he said (laughs) possibly? Okay, yeah. We all know that females are the most important part of a population, so bears aren't any different. Uh, But uh, we know the survival rate of those females is practically 100%. Because mom will give a proportion of her home range for those females, mm. and not allow them to live with her, but within her home range. Yeah, okay. So that's yeah. her insurance policy. Sure. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's let's back up. Tomorrow, when we go get a bear, you get it on camera. We hop in the truck. Myron drives 95 miles an hour. <laughs> Well, you go faster because when you hit potholes, you don't—you just sort of glide over the pothole instead of, right? Isn't that the technique? That's what my sister thought. Yeah. Um, we get there. We get out of the truck. What happens next? What's going to happen?
2: Uh, first thing we're going to do is go down and determine, you know, the weight of a bear because the drugs that we so use. we're
1: sneaking up on the bear? Are we making noise? Are uh, we We're just going to
2: walk up there and kind of let ourselves be known. Try not to amp it up too much okay. and try to get a field weight. An estimate of the weight. Okay. Because the drugs that we use is you know, I mean, it's it's based on weight. Uh, so we're going to try to get pretty close and uh, you know once we'll load a dart we'll back off of it, kind of let it settle down. We'll load a dart and dart projector and one person will go down there, probably me, and uh, I'll try to as calmly as I can get up to the bear and get a good shot and dart it. And once I dart it, I'll back off of it and watch it until it goes down. And get up to it.
1: the bear, how close?
2: Uh, usually within a few feet, a few five feet? five or ten. You know, usually they have a circle when they're in a snare. They have a circle around a tree, and they'll sit there and spin a circle. And we call it the circle of influence. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. so, very influential. You don't get inside the circle of influence. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, they're are you on trying a to land but,
1: that dart anywhere specific? I am. I okay. mean, it
2: needs to be specific. It needs to be intermuscular. It needs to be a good perpendicular shot. It needs to be in good muscle tissue. Uh, preferably, I try to shoot for the base of the neck or the front of the shoulder, not in the shoulder bone, but in that thick muscled area. Yeah. Uh, close to the heart, you know. We don't care anything about shooting a bear in the rump or anything. It's, yeah. You want to get as close as you can to the heart, but administer as good of a induction as you can. So I'll do that. usually takes five to ten minutes for the drug to take effect. And then, you know, when the bear's out, that's, that's when everybody comes into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when Jen and AJ will step in and do all the – animal monitoring yeah the <laughs> selfies yeah <laughs> and all the animal monitoring the health uh, while the bears under anesthesia and they have a an entire protocol that they're monitoring administering oxygen uh collecting bio samples that we're banking as jen mentioned earlier and you know if it's a female hopefully knock on wood it would be a female you know i'm going to be getting all the collar stuff out extracting a premolar putting the collar on, putting ear tags in. So we're doing all this stuff all simultaneously. How long is that process? Hopefully not more than 30 minutes.
1: Mm. From darting to it passing out, collecting the data, that's only 30 minutes. Hopefully. Wow. Hopefully. Hopefully. Depending on the size. I mean,
2: you've seen how hot it is down here, right? I have. Today you wasn't know. bad, though. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday but, I was mean, it. you know, sure. bears, because they're just big animals, uh, and they can't pant, and they're laying on their side in a fur coat, yep. and they can overheat quick. Are
1: you, are, do you have anything to, what was I just watching? There's an animal where they, they cool it down, they bring something to cool it down, because it can overheat when it's... <laughs> Is that something you do for, do you even know what I'm talking about? What animal am I talking about? <laughs> Where you have to bring, I forget what they were doing. They were putting some cooling pads on it or something. But anyway.
4: Yeah, that w- that's honestly pretty common in almost any species that you're doing chemical immobilization in hot temperatures. We oh. have a thermometer. We check the temperature. We can pour water on it. We can put cool packs, um, especially oh. sort of the armpit or, or groin area. Okay. Those have good blood flow so they can help cool the whole animal down. <laughs> um, and then, ideally, just get the work done and, and reverse it as quickly as possible. And when all that fails, you
2: get to give cool water enemas.
4: That's the other option. So, yeah, anything to keep them from overheating.
2: That's the low man on the totem pole job, though. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll volunteer i'll do anything
1: (laughs) once before the selfie though yeah before it (laughs) i don't know i can get a selfie doing that you
2: definitely want to eat your lunch before you start administering (coughs) cool water in them
1: so that's 30 minutes okay but then it
2: wakes up we administer reversal okay you administer and that's within the 30 minutes as well well i mean ideally you know we just in these type of temperatures we don't want to keep an animal on the ground for more than 30 minutes Mm -hmm. you know if it's a nice cool day like whenever we do den work and stuff like that an hour hour and a half isn't isn't that uncommon but you're not looking at an animal that's going to be in heat distress either Mm -hmm. so
1: okay so you administer reversal it's collared it's not snared are you watching it get up from a safe distance yeah from a safe distance mm-hmm. which means what a few feet anyway a few feet anyway <laughs> yeah. what and about the circle of influence now it
3: becomes a box at that <laughs> point <laughs> yeah it's a box of influence okay
1: so it it oh. just starts kind of blinking and looking around and
4: yeah and it it the distance kind of changes like at first we reverse them and we're standing pre- you know we'll start standing pretty close and then as you know, their breathing changes, the pattern that they breathe. Um, they'll start to twitch a little more, start to move. You can tell as they're coming around, and you'll back up and back up, and you're trying not to startle them. But you always stay – you can tell what direction they're probably going to head. It's probably going to be away from you, downhill, so just don't get in their way. You ever have them come go
1: the not direction. away from you?
4: We had, a, we had that big, denning female stand up mm. and follow us out that time. Yeah. That was a little creepy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But not generally.
4: Not
2: generally. I wasn't on that one. Mm-hmm. But when they told me about it, I was like, ooh. She that woke up
4: fast.
3: Now,
1: are you comparing data from when we go dart this bear? You're collecting data on that sow. And then eight months later, you're in the den and then you collect data. Obviously, you're comparing if something changes there or what, right? That's something to look at.
4: We can, yeah. I mean, we'll note obvious changes in her condition. Um, sure. We'll probably go ahead and collect blood samples. Right now, we're not doing any paired blood sample testing, but we can bank that serum and do that later if we wanted to look for, you know, was there an exposure or something like that. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll continue to just monitor the general condition o- over the long term.
1: Do bear get COVID?
4: <laughs> Don't know. Um You know, COVID is a, well, okay. I can start by saying this (laughs) animals don't get COVID COVID COVID-19 is the human disease caused by SARS-CoV-2, uh, which has a broad host range. Um, it's not been documented to my knowledge in bear species, but it's been documented in mink and cats and deer and a lot of other species. So we wore, um, PPE and took a lot more precautions, um, during the time that, uh, covid was at its highest we, you know during the peak of covid circulating in the human populations to prevent exposure to bears we actually took us down to just essential personnel only on our trips and um really tried to take those precautions but the transmission of covid right now is pretty low and and we hope that people would not come with us if they had a known exposure and that sort of thing or, or signs of illness
1: interesting i mean if i had to guess i would that I have no expertise whatsoever, I'd be like, I think a bear could handle it. Because they can handle a lot of stuff, but I don't know.
4: Well, so infected is different than sick because um, you know, an yeah, animal can yeah. be exposed without becoming infected and they can become infected without actually getting sick. And that's kind of what's happening in white-tailed deer. But the risk is even if it infects a new species, but they don't get clinically sick... Um, anytime it goes into a new host, you can drive the emergence of new viral strains, which is unto itself something worth preventing.
1: I wasn't expecting a really big answer on that. It's kind of a random random (laughs) question. I know, I I heard bear could get it. Or uh, bear, uh, deer could get it. Mm -hmm. I I read a couple articles like, well, that's really interesting. So can bear get it? Hmm. All right. So we don't know, but there are some studies.
4: Um. I don't know about bears specifically, but um, nationally, there are a lot of studies looking at a variety of wildlife species trying to determine what North American species may be susceptible.
0: Yeah.
1: Got it. Back to some, uh, to some bios. What did, AJ, what did you, how long have you been doing this? How many years?
3: I worked for the agency for 17 years and I've worked with bears the entire 17 years in my different positions.
1: You went to school specifically for this? This is what you always wanted to do?
3: Uh, kind of, sort of. I figured out in my mm, sophomore, junior year of college that I didn't want to live in a box. What does that mm-hmm. mean? That means I didn't want oh, to go to an office an every o- day. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> here I am. <laughs>
2: like, who wants to live in a
3: box? I don't want to live in a box. Well, I mean. Know, I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. And my dad wouldn't let me be a mason or a carpenter because that's what he did.
1: What about you, Jen?
3: I
4: <laughs> went to undergrad thinking I wanted to be a veterinarian, and the freshman advisor put me in a wildlife management orientation class. Um, I loved—I grew up hunting and fishing, loved being outdoors—and she's like, I, you know, I think you'll you'll like this too. So why don't you check them both out? And I fell in love with the field of wildlife management. I finished a bachelor's in wildlife. Or fisheries and wildlife biology. And then I was like, ah, but I still kind of want to be a vet. And so I just stubbornly decided I was going to try to figure out a way to do both.
1: Best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. How long you been doing this?
4: I've been with the agency for five and a half years. And before that, I spent two years at the Fish and Wildlife Service as a veterinary medical officer for the Refuges Division.
1: Where would you grow up?
4: Here in Arkansas.
1: You grew up in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. AJ.
4: Pennsylvania. That's
1: right. Pennsylvania. 'Cause you saw what what concert was it? Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks. Nineteen ninety six. Yep. In Pennsylvania. That's right. Um Myron, you grew up here. You told yeah. me that, right? You grew up here in Arkansas. Can't you tell by my accent? <laughs> well yeah. the southern states <laughs> kind of confuse me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> i don't if i hear one y'all yeah another y'all, i don't know if you're from alabama or yeah yeah, yeah i know i know you're from the south yeah and you've been doing this for how long
2: i started my 26th year with game of fish when you were 26 years old is when you started oh well i don't know how old i was when i started i started in 97 hmm. so
1: oh okay 25 years
2: I've started my 26th year.
1: You just started your 26th? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry if I made that no, confusing. No, I got it. You just, you just started your – But
2: yeah. actually because I went to undergraduate and graduate school in Arkansas, I was actually able to work on the, the initial bear project that Game and Fish did in the late 80s to look at the population, home range, and all that stuff in the state. And that was going on when I was an undergraduate, so I volunteered one year mm. and worked on that project the second year. And so I've actually worked with Bear in the state for twenty seven, twenty eight years. So you're in the weeds on this. I'm in the weeds. Arkansas Bear. I'm Bear. Wow. I'm it. Well, that's exciting.
1: I'm there. Well I can tell that Jen, I didn't get a lot of time to hang out with you today. But I'm sure it's the same story. I can tell you guys really love what you do, and you're you're probably on salary and don't get paid by the hour. And you're out here Saturday and Sunday and everything else. And you're you know you're not doing it. I would suspect for the money. You, I mean, money's money's good too. But you guys lo- really have a passion for what you're doing and the way that uh, the way that you talk about. The way that you just give information, and you're, you know, the the detailed information is just so much more than what I would say somebody with a normal job just doing their nine to five. They're just doing, you know, accomplishing A to B. You guys have really <laughs> a, a passion here for for wildlife, and specifically in in, in Arkansas. And I can certainly appreciate it. I've, I've learned a lot um, being with you guys. It's been it's been awesome just listening to to stories and seeing you set up traps and and just the process i can tell you guys have have done this a lot you know it's like you you get right to work (laughs) you know you get right to work doing you're doing he's he's out there drilling buckets and you know setting up what are the snap uh
3: throwing arms throwing throwing arms
1: setting that stuff up and you know that's um i've seen trapping a little bit i didn't really i haven't really done it that much so first time kind of seeing all that stuff it's just really neat for outsider coming in, it's you really know, a, pr- a privilege to come here. Honestly, to to do this with
2: you all, we appreciate. it. We're glad that you're here. I mean, it's you know, it's exposure for Arkansas's bear program. But I I'll, I will say, when you get in, when you do bear work with people like Jen and AJ and the other biologists across the state, you know, like you say, these these people that are really involved with our bear program, they do it because there isn't just a passion that you literally can't beat out of them because bear work is tough, it is hard, a certain amount of risk to every bit of it, whether you're hiking in a backpack down a cliff in the mountains or whether or not you're walking through, you know, rattlesnake country in the delta mm-hmm. or copper cottonmouth country. Cottonmouth, your favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, Yeah.
1: This has been a lot like, um, I, didn't, I didn't know how this was going to go. I mean, I know with, with baiting, it can be, I mean, the same with hunting, you know. You can have a day and you go out and it's just like, man, I just <laughs> sat in my stand for 10 minutes and here comes a big buck. You know, when does that happen? Or you sit in your stand for an entire season and you never see one. Yeah, This is really akin to hunting. You know, we have all these set up, but you yeah. know, a bear's gonna do what a bear's gonna do. That's right. And a bear is where it's where it ever it is. Mm-hmm. That's where it is. You know, That's they right. are where they are. And you never know when anything's gonna happen. I mean, of course, you know, we're here for just a few days, so we want everything to happen within just these few days. Sure. What's your project length on this? How long are you how you know well, what I mean, time are you putting into to snaring the amount of or you know, collaring the amount of bear that you wanna collar?
2: Theoretically, we could we could work all the way up until mid-October mm. to get the number of bears collared. I mean, basically, the drugs that we're using have a withdrawal period, so we wouldn't want to administer drug on any bear prior to what a 60-day withdrawal period from the bears that we're using. So that would basically back it up 60 days from when the hunting season starts, mm-hmm. and give it a little bit of a buffer in there. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll have the opportunity to work through the summer. It's, uh, I mean, it's 15 callers, but it's a different world down there. Access is always going to be an issue, so you know, we roughly have the next three months to get a good distribution of collars across the Gulf Coastal Plain.
1: Okay, so you've got you've got plenty of time. What well, seems to be, you got a lot more time than yeah. Just but a that week doesn't or mean we or can or be down
2: here for the next three months. Right, because you got all kinds of other <laughs> so, stuff Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, I could. Jen and AJ can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah got <laughs> but it. really, even I can. I mean, there's 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 other bear populations to be doing work on. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, hopefully this all works out. I'm sure it will. I mean, I know you're going to get some bear collared. And, and We'll and get them collared. Some, yeah, you'll get them collared. Absolutely. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, – to what happens in the next few days and i'm really looking forward to what happens next winter it's going to be really interesting to see sort of the full circle at least you know not really. you guys get to see the full circle but i'll see what may be considered the cool parts which is great yeah <laughs> um but i i really appreciate what you guys do i really appreciate um blood origins and robbie for setting this up absolutely uh, this is an opportunity that i never didn't even really know existed and never thought I'd be doing anything like this. So this is a first for me. And, um, so I want to thank you guys for everything you do. Thank blood origins. I know John Stallone shares those, those sentiments and I'm looking forward to what happens tomorrow. Thanks guys. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you.